are listening to the Grassroots Sermon Podcast. For more information about who we are or how you can become involved, please visit us at grassrootswv.com. Good morning. Praise God for these musicians that give of their talents and their time to worship Christ. Let's give them a round of applause. How awesome it is to, to have them. Let's go to God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do thank you. God, just for your love and kindness. God, just for each individual that's here this morning, I just pray, God, that the message that you've laid on Darren's heart, God, that, that you would just be with him as he delivers that. And God, just touch the heart of each one of us here. Help us, God, just to be a better witness for you. God, I just pray and ask anybody that might be here this morning, God, that just might not know you as their Savior. God, that, Lord, that they might just fill that void this day. God, we just thank you for all these things. In Christ's precious and holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Larry. Um, we just want to make sure, some of y'all might not be aware, just uh, one thing we did uh, here in the theater is in the ladies' room, uh, there's two stalls, there's a smaller one and a bigger one, and the bigger one we did put in uh, a brand new baby changing station. So if you're like, hey, you know, we can make use of that. Uh, and just so we don't communicate improperly, okay, next month, because they're kind of expensive, next month we're going to put one in the men's room. All right, dads, we changed diapers too, okay? Thank you. Yes, that's true. Mom started clapping first. Guys are like, yeah, that's what we thought. Um, but... Uh, and then after that, we're going to put one in the Acorns room as well, uh, just so they're readily available to our workers and to our families. Um, so we want to let you know about that, all right? Um, 
And we want to kind of keep reminding you, there's a few left on the back table are the journals uh, for 1 Corinthians. Um, on one side is the scripture, the next side is blank, so you can take notes. Uh, and then a devotional. It covers every day of the year. Now, you're thinking, hey, it's almost to the end of January. It, it's like you're not going to be lost like if you pick up reading or whatever. But one thing I like about those uh, devotionals is that um, every devotional is written by a pastor here in West Virginia. And so it is specifically made for West Virginia. And uh, so I, I enjoy reading those. Um, and then the journals are back there as well. And there's a jar back there for donation. If you're like, hey, I don't have any money, just take the books. Uh, we're not, you know, that's not what they're, it's back there for. But if you would like to help cover the cost, if you took both books, the total cost that you would need to cover, uh, if you wanted to do that was six bucks. Okay, so we want to let you know that. But if you're like, man, all I got is a buck fifty. Man, drop that. If you're like, I need that for gas money, just take a book, all right? Just take them. We want those gone. We don't want to have to store them, so they're there to be taken. Um, if you are just joining us for the first time, we are in uh, a, a year-long series in 1 Corinthians called Citizen Of, and uh, last week, just to kind of catch everybody up, we covered um, the first portion of chapter one, uh, Paul's intro, and we do know that his apostle Paul, because he says, hey, this is Paul, and uh, how many of you just had the commercial run through your mind where he's like, hi, I'm Paul. Okay, anybody? Nobody? Just, okay, thank you. I always need to ask because I want to make sure it's not just me, okay? Because my mind's usually running a thousand different directions. But, uh, but Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Uh, this is a church that he planted. If you were to read in Acts chapter 18 like we did last week, you would see where Paul went to Corinth on a second missionary journey and planted the church in Corinth. Uh, I think we have a map. I believe it's still in there. Did we get that up there? Is it up? There it is. Uh, this, you can see, starting in Jerusalem uh, and then tracking up to Damascus, Antioch, and going all the way around. This is Paul's second missionary journey and over to Corinth there, and then he ended up traveling back to Jerusalem. Um, and just understanding Corinth, the very uh, populated city and area, we, we let you know last week that uh, the equivalent of the population at the height of Corinth was pretty much the equivalent to the population of our entire state. Uh, here in West Virginia. And so uh, a very populated area, a lot of influence from a lot of different places. You can actually see how it is uh, situated between two bodies of water. So very much a trade route, uh, very much influenced um, intellectually as well uh, in commerce and, um, and religion. We're going to learn a lot more in detail later on how there, there was a, a very vibrant temple to Venus there in Corinth. And so uh, that is where Paul started that church. Um, and so from the time that he went to Corinth, uh, and then the next thing we hear is that he gets a report from uh, somebody about what's going on at the church to writing this letter back to them uh, was about five years from about 50 to 55 AD. And so um, that's what he's writing back to them. And first he just encourages them that we saw... Uh, you know, legitimate, um, genuine evidence of the Holy Spirit working in you as a church. So he is writing to believers. He's writing to the church, to Christians. Like he knows, I have seen the Holy Spirit work among you. I have seen the things that have gone on, but I've received this report from Chloe. And so now uh, there's some things that we need to work on. The first thing that he addresses is division in the church. Now, I know what everybody's thinking right now, that clearly in America, the church is not divided in any way. So why do we even cover this? Okay, um, 
because the church is splintered and fractured in so many different ways. And so uh, what he first touches on with them is uh, the division that had arose among the church. Now, what was their division about? Their division was about who thought they were more important than the other person because of who baptized them. Some would say, hey, Paul himself baptized me, so clearly I'm a disciple of his. I know more than you. I'm more important. Others were saying other people had baptized them, and and Paul's trying to kind of lay all that to rest by telling them um, that, listen, Christ is not divided. Your salvation is not in me. Your salvation is not in these other men. Your salvation is not in these other people. Your salvation is in Christ. My salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. And he's trying to draw them back to that. Now, um, has anybody, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call us men out a little bit, but I think, ladies, you're not off the hook either, okay? Um, I have grown in my wisdom in at least one thing, Okay? Some of y'all might be with me on this. And at least one thing I have grown in wisdom, that when I buy something that needs to be put together, I use the instructions. All right? I use the instructions. Do you know why I've grown in that? Do you know how many times I've had to disassemble something that I have assembled because late in the process I realize that I've put the wrong pieces in the wrong places and, and I get to the end and realize something's actually backwards, okay? So I have grown in my wisdom to understand I have the instructions, okay? And so that is my source of wisdom and ability to put this thing together and put it together properly. But the church in Corinth, and I think a lot of ways the church in America today is kind of like that individual that won't use the instructions, Okay, we start going about going, we've got this figured out. We can do this. Here's why I can do this. Here's why I can. Instead of realizing, no, uh, Jesus is the source of our wisdom and our ability to function as the church. And so Paul is trying to send them back to their source. Okay, if you look at verse uh, 17, just real quick, it won't be up on the screens, um, but vert, unless she's just that good. I'm putting her on the spot. I'm just going to read. Um, in verse 17, <clears throat> she is that good. Where are you at, Jim? Um, verse 17, for Christ, he sits in the back row, and I still throw him under the bus, just right there, right under. Both sets of tires go over, okay? Um, it's because I love him. Verse 17 uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach What? the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. Now, this is the phrase. Hang on to this phrase. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If if our salvation is based on our own wisdom, then it's a salvation that is not eternal. And it might help us a little bit in this life. But ultimately, before a holy God, we have nothing to stand on. 
And he's trying to say, listen, if your wisdom and your power is on a gospel that's based on something other than Jesus, then it's no gospel at all. And that's why he said, I came to not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So, so what does this have to do with us? Now, I want y'all to hear this because he's talking to believers. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the church. And so this morning, I'm talking to you, Christian. I'm talking to you, believer, the church. I'm talking to y'all. When does division arise in the church? Is when we start putting our faith, our hope, our trust, whatever it is, in something other than Jesus. If you start, now here, let me give you some practical examples. If you start looking at this facility and going, listen, this is the right location, and, and we can grow into this, and it's kind of, kind of trendy, and, and it's kind of, you know, it doesn't look like a church, and so, you know, more people want to come to, and, and our, our faith starts becoming that people will come and come to the gospel, come to Jesus, because we have, like, the coolest facility, then, then the second we come and say, hey, listen, we've outgrown this, we need to go somewhere else, division will rise because your faith is in this facility and not in Jesus, it's why I'm thankful that we started out in a ratty old gym that, listen, every single Sunday we were cleaning spider webs and killing bugs, okay? Like I can remember, I might have been slick enough at it. I can remember one Sunday teaching and I was down on the gym floor and people were up in the bleachers and like this like centipede or something ugly like came like just, and I'm just kind of like in my teaching kind of like, and just keep teaching. Like I didn't really want to, I didn't want to make a big deal out of it, like especially if I start like kind of screaming or scared or something, like then you guys wouldn't come back. But, um, but, but if it's based on facility, then division is going to rise as soon as that begins to get approached as no longer this. Or listen, if it's in a certain man or woman, then the second that man or woman is removed from the church, Division will rise because kind of like the church in Corinth, I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by somebody. Your salvation is not based on Jesus. What if it's a particular program? Okay, a, a, a lot of you have been through this and we've, we've had some growing pains in this. Many, many, many of you are plugged into one of our small groups. And there's times that we've just had to uh, kind of shuffle small groups around and put new people in other small groups and, and form new small groups. And, and just last Sunday, we had two new small groups form. We went out to lunch uh, and just got to know each other, and we're looking forward to those moving forward. What if your small group gets touched? What if the person you look to there is your salvation goes to lead another small group? Is, is it starting to make sense? Division rises when our hope and salvation is put in something other than Jesus. And that's why in verse 17, he's trying to draw the church back to the gospel that they were saved under, back to Jesus and Jesus alone. Because that is where our hope and salvation is. He cannot be touched. Leaders can fall. They can fail. Buildings get destroyed. Uh, my wife and I kind of, uh, if you heard about the tornado that rolled through Alabama this week, it hit just a couple of miles from where uh, we have family that lives there. Um, and in fact, her brother and sister-in-law were actually down on the river 
uh, when they heard about it and quickly got to shelter. And if you see the pictures, literally just the other side of the river is where the tornado came through. Um, and so, and it's a river kind of comparable to the Greenbrier River. So it's, it's not a, a, a huge river, okay? Um, and so, but one of the things that people were devastated by, and it is sad, but they were devastated by, was I believe it was a Presbyterian church is 100 years old, just got leveled. Nothing left. And while it was something that stood for the gospel for 100 years, if somebody's faith and trust and salvation was based in that building, then their salvation was just leveled. And that's what Paul's trying to do is draw us back to the gospel that we are saved under. The gospel is Jesus Christ. And so that's where we're going to kind of roll through today and, and kind of move through quickly, to be honest with you, um, because I, I, don't, I want to get us out of here on time. But, um, but if you would, just before we move into verse 18, if y'all would just uh, pray with me. So Father, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for uh, working through Paul to write this letter and continuing to work in this church, Lord, that the testimonies that you don't abandon us uh, when we abandon you, you draw us back in and you remind us of the gospel that we were saved under. And, and Jesus, you remind us of who you are. And so continue to do that today. Draw us together in unity. Give me the words to say, to speak boldly, to speak lovingly. And it's all for your glory and it's all for your beautiful name we pray. Amen. So he starts off in verse 18. If y'all just look there with me, uh, this is what he said. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, the power. Now, um, when we look at that, we're talking about these divisions. He's trying to draw us back to the gospel. He's saying to those that, that don't see the gospel, that don't understand the gospel, that have not had their lives changed by, it's, it's folly, it's, it's foolishness. And, and the, the weight that comes with that word folly is actually um, that it's not able to be understood. You can't understand it. Okay, uh, to give you kind of an example, something from my life, um, how many of you, just real quick, raise a hand, you've been to GVT to see Greenbrier Valley Theater, you've gone to see a play there, uh, maybe your kids have been in it, grandkids, something like that. Um, a couple of years ago, we had a friend that was in, I, I believe it's, uh, actually, Kara, you were in one, weren't you? Kara was actually in, you were in uh, Christmas Carol, she was in it this past year, um, Kelly and I had a friend in, uh, was it Macbeth, was that it? Macbeth, okay? Does anybody remember? Did you go see Macbeth? Anybody go see it? Okay, really impactful there. Um, so, so Kelly and I went to see Macbeth. And, and I don't know if she remembers this. I definitely remember this. Maybe 10 minutes in, and I don't know, I don't remember if it was an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, something like that. Uh, <laughs> fell a lot longer. Um, so uh, about 10 minutes in, I look over at Kelly and I'm like, I have no idea what they're saying. I have no idea what's going on. And for the rest of the time, I'm sitting in there marking the program as I see the scenes pass me. I couldn't understand what they were saying. That old English they were using, the things that they were saying, I didn't have the capacity to keep up with it. To me, it was kind of like foolishness. It looked like foolishness because I'm like, well, that person seems angry. Well, that person's dead now. Okay, I get that. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't grasp it, but other people were locked in. Kelly enjoyed it. Um, you know, we've heard, we heard great things about it, but to me, I didn't understand. 
to me, it was just kind of gibberish and foolishness that it's just kind of like, I can't wait to get out of here. Now, just so, like the people that put on the play did a great job. Like the actors and actresses, like they were some dynamic, uh, you know, actors did a great job. I just didn't understand it. And to go a step further, just giving to understand to me, I, I don't like the theater. I don't like going to plays. I, it's, it's not my thing. Like, like I could totally grasp it. And I'm still marking off the, you know, the stuff going on. Like, like can't wait. But I support the people and love them well and, you know, and clap when, I'm, when everybody else does. Um, so... <laughs> But, but that's what it was like for me, it was, was kind of like foolishness because I, I didn't understand what was going on. And I think that's what's happening here in, uh, in verse 18 is, is to those that are perishing, those that have not been transformed by the gospel, who have been changed by the gospel, it seems like foolishness. And can I just, can I just give some support to that? I want you to think about that. This dirt poor homeless man from 2,000 years ago that claims to be God, that ends up being crucified as a criminal. And 2,000 years later, we're going, thank you, Jesus. You have saved us. You are our Savior. That sounds crazy. But that's what he's saying is to those whose eyes have been opened to the gospel, that the Holy Spirit has worked, and we see the truth of it, and our lives have been changed. It's powerful. It's powerful. What drives us to do things for Jesus that to others seem crazy? But we see Jesus, we see the gospel, and we go, yes, you're worth it. It's worth it. Let me be a part of that. Give me the strength to do it. I'm in, Lord. That's what the power of the gospel is to those whose eyes have been opened. But... If you look at verse 22, I love the way Paul helps us uh, understand this. He said, uh, for the Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Uh, Paul had two circles of friends, basically. He had his previous circle, which were, were pretty much Jewish, okay? Raised as a Jew, Pharisee of Pharisee. This guy was like professional Jew, okay? Like that's the only way you could put it. He was professional Jew. He knew all the laws. He held to them. He was the one that was the best at it. And now he was brought into a large circle and multiple circles of Gentiles, of Greeks, of non-Jewish people. And, and he understood the way they looked at the gospel. And what the Jews always want is give me a sign. Like, give me a sign that this is true. And I'm just like, I'll give you like uh, just an encouragement. Go back through the Old Testament and read through and see where the Jews, they just always like, God, let us know. Let us know that this is really you. Okay, like maybe some of us have done it where it's like, God, if, if you want me to quit my job, then wake me up at 5.02 tomorrow morning and I'll know that it was you. And you, you set your alarm for 5.02 and go, thank you, Jesus, for giving me this sign. You know, and it's like, that's, that's, but they're always wanting something to prove the validity of what was being said. But the Greeks, they weren't interested in that, what you would think of mysticism of those signs, everything. They wanted the knowledge. They wanted wisdom. They wanted to understand what was going on. And, and to that, he says, this is what the gospel becomes. But we preach Christ crucified, the gospel, a stumbling block to Jews, okay? A stumbling block to Jews and folly 
to Gentiles. Once again, that foolishness to Gentiles. Uh, John Calvin um, actually has a, a, what he says about this in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. If you don't know who John Calvin is, uh, you know, one of the people God used in the Reformation and uh, the church being restored back to the Word of God and uh, you know, kind of out of uh, where the church was headed at the time. And this is what he said, uh, the Jews desire through means of miracles to have before their eyes an evidence of divine power. The Greeks are fond of what tends to gratify human intellect by the applause of acuteness. We, on the other hand, preach Christ crucified, wherein there appears at first view nothing but weakness and folly. He is, therefore, a stumbling block to the Jews when they see him as if it were forsaken by God. To the Greeks, it appears like a fable to be told of such a method of redemption." So what he's trying to help them understand is, you know, the gospel that is the power of God. And here's Jesus saying, look at the miracles that I'm doing to show you that I am God in the flesh. I am God the Son. And to them, it was a stumbling block because ultimately crucified on a cross, they say, you're not God. You're too weak. You couldn't save yourself. There is no power there. And to to the Greeks where they hear this thing of, hey, put your trust in me. There's no um, intellectual assent here. There's no, oh, I finally figured out what the gospel is, therefore I'm saved. No, it's Jesus saying it's as simple as childlike faith that you put your arms out and just fall back into the arms of Jesus. And they go, no, that's not enough. So to the Jews, the gospel seems weak. To the Greek, the gospel seems foolish. Because of the Jews, it's like, we want Jesus. We want a Messiah to come and just wipe out our enemies and show the power of God. And to the Greeks, it's like, give us something to understand and to ascend to. Give us knowledge that we can reach for. And that's why Paul's saying it's, it's, a, it's a stumbling block and foolishness to those that are perishing. However, verse 24, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let me give you an encouragement, okay? Let me give you an encouragement. You're never gonna present the gospel eloquently enough to convince somebody to accept Jesus because that's not our part It's the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the non-believer that draws them in. We can just speak it. And I think if we went around this room right now, and I wish we had time to give testimonies, where I know in my life there's times that I have just, listen, just honestly between us, this is, I nailed it. Like I presented the gospel, and I nailed it. And they just sit there unchanged. And I can remember a particular time. There was a boy named Tim. Uh, he was a teenager, about 17 years old. And I remember I walked outside uh, after a Wednesday night service with him. And I said, Tim, uh, where are you at with Jesus? And he literally turns around and goes, I'm ready to be saved. What do I do? And just in that moment, I did not have the attitude of, man, I nailed it. Because all I did is said, hey, where are you at with Jesus? And he turns around and goes, tell me what I need to do. Because to those whose eyes haven't been opened, it's foolishness and it's a stumbling block. 
but to those whose eyes have been opened, it's power and it's wisdom. That's what the gospel is. That's who Jesus is. And so what Paul is trying to lead us to as we kind of move toward the end of this chapter is that uh, the division in the church needs to die because Jesus is the answer to everything we're trying to accomplish. Jesus is the answer to everything we're trying to accomplish. Division needs to die. Look at the next few verses. We're just going to read 26 through 31 together. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Amen? Not many were powerful. Amen? Not many were of noble birth. Anybody? But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring, nothing, to, bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Big words, go study those. Great words, just trust me on that one. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You're, you're gonna be asked this question all year long, and it's why the name of this. Actually, do you have the slide, the title slide? Can we put the title slide back up here, please? Citizen of. That's the title of this series. Because we want to constantly ask the question, are you a citizen of the kingdom or are you a citizen of the culture? Because here's, let's, let's boil it down. Let's, let's get it into this room. So you like quit thinking, you know, you know, 2,000 years ago in Corinth, you know, over in Greece and, and, and you're not thinking, yeah, these are other churches that need to hear that. Like, let's bring it into this room, into grassroots church, into our lives. Let's boil it down into this day for us, okay? Um, here's culture thinking. You ready? Here's culture thinking. We as a church are gonna be more attractive. We're gonna be more entertaining we're going to offer more. We're going to have more. We're going to be the place people want to go. That's culture thinking. Because I want you to think about what you're advertised every single day. Come to our store. We have what you want. We have the lowest prices. So clearly, you don't want to go to that other store. We have what you're looking for. Look at our brand new facility. And that makes its way into the church where the power of the church is not in the gospel, but the power in the church is how much we can entertain the people sitting in the seats. And they keep coming back. And we have to keep entertaining we have to keep entertaining. And I'm going to use this term. We have to feed the beast or else they'll quit coming. The power of the church is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not in how well we entertain you. It's, listen, I'm kind of thankful. I know my wife's frustrated 
our kids' facilities are a little janky right now. They're kind of scary at times. We just got new lighting in there, so it's not so cavernous, like it's a little bit brighter, okay? But if your child's desire was to come here because we've got whatever it is, other than the gospel, we're failing your children and we're failing you. Because culture thinking is attract them in, then we'll give them the gospel. We attract them in with the gospel. And it's not just on Sunday. Listen, Christian, you attract them in with the effect of the gospel in your life at work and how you treat your neighbors. And when you see those in need, the gospel takes effect in your life. It changes you when people see that and they're drawn to Christ's work in you. Because kingdom thinking is the gospel's the power of the church, not how flashy we can be. When, when entertainment is the source of our power in culture thinking, what happens if we decide no more worship team? But that's, 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 that entertains you. That's why I'm here. You're going to leave. But if the source of our power is the gospel, then you're going to look at the worship team not as entertaining, but as an opportunity to sing with them in worship of the Lord. I know Nick preaches it to the worship team. I know I encourage the worship team with it. I am hoping, listen, worship team, if you haven't heard it in a while, listen to me now. Do not play your instrument for Grassroots Church. Play your instrument for the Lord. Sing into that mic for the Lord and for the glory of God. Now, that being said, I think they do it. But that's what we're looking at. The division in the church arises when the power and wisdom of the church is placed in something other than Jesus. And he's trying to draw us back in. So it helped us understand kingdom thinking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, invite the worship team back up. I want y'all to listen. It's lyrics from a song, and it might be very familiar to you. It kind of reads like a poem. But here's the idea. When I tell you what culture thinking was, I explain that. Here's kingdom thinking. You ready for this? This is kingdom thinking. As I read these lyrics, I want you to lock in. Don't worry about what they're doing. They're going to get ready to worship Jesus. But I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song. And it might be familiar to you, but just listen. Lyrics of this song, how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Now listen, I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, nor wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid 
my rants. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for paying the price for us, and I pray that our hope and our wisdom and our power and our trust and our faith is in you and you alone not in our ability for what uh, this facility can offer, not in our ability for what this church can offer, but in you and you alone. And out of that, we will use this facility. We will use programs. We will use those things to bring glory to your name and the gospel to the nations. God, as we go into a time of worship, I pray that you are glorified, whether we are worshiped through giving or we are worshiping through song, I pray that it is an act that flows out of a thankful heart for changing us with your gospel. Jesus, I thank you for the privilege to stand here with your word, and it's your name we pray. Amen.